As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives. One life for Thomas A. Anderson, program writer for a respectable software company. You have a social security number, you pay your taxes. Right, welcome everyone to episode 81 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to Comics in Motion, the show where we like to review movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And I'll be reviewing from the TV and movie perspective. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, then we'd advise you to proceed with caution. But this week, it comes with an extra special warning as well, because I'm going to say, do not listen to this podcast if you haven't seen this. It needs to be watched. So Chris, the only thing, I have spotted a couple of things from the news this week that I thought you'd be interested in. So one is that Thor 4 is definitely going to come out, and it's going to be the same director as Thor Ragnarok. So what are your feelings on that? I think that's fantastic news, Dave. I'd seen that earlier this week. Ragnarok is up there in my top five for the MCU. Absolutely love it. Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, the whole dynamic. Even Jeff Goldblum was fantastic as well. I can't wait. And I'll I'll be interested to see what they do with four. Is he going to be the slob four we see from Endgame or is he going to be back to his sort of godlike figure? I think the latter, to be honest. But either way, it's going to herald the next version of the MCU. And I'm interested to see how far they use four in this next sort of MCU iteration because Cap's gone, Iron Man's gone. Is he going to become some sort of a leader? I still think when we review Spider-Man that that, Spider-Man is going to be probably the leader of the next phase of the Avengers, to be honest. But I'll be all over it, Dave. Fantastic news. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, Spider-Man, especially like Tom Holland, the young Peter Parker, he's not really a leader as such. You know, he's he's a great, great character. Uh, I can see Thor being that leader. But again, he's, he's usually at the top table. But he's, he's not... <sighs> I don't know if he's a leader in the same way that, say, Tony Stark and, and Captain America are. But, yeah, I mean, let's see. I, I'm with you. I think Thor Ragnarok is great. Really excited about this. I've got a feeling he might be on the Bowflex in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You know, so by the time we get to Thor 4, you know, he'll have trimmed down again. I can't imagine we're going to get fat Thor for, for too much longer. As funny as it was in Endgame, you know... You've got, you know what Chris Hemsworth is in real life, don't you? So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. We have got a bit of a lull now with the MCU movies, so a bit of a long time. We've got Marvel properties appearing in in various movies, but not the actual uh, Marvel, not the actual MCU. So, the other thing though that I saw this week, which I, I thought was quite interesting, so the Black Widow movie again, we don't really know she's dead at the minute in continuity. So, is this going? way into the past in which case you know none of it really matters or you know is it is it something else um can't help but feel or or i've seen a few things that guardians of the galaxy 3 might be to go off in search of spock uh sorry gamora (laughs) Uh, but you know in in that kind of star trek way where they're maybe going to try and rescue her from the soul world because she she made that exchange Spoilers. Uh, but she'd made that exchange for the Soul Stone. Well, Black Widow did exactly the same. So I, I wonder if it's just going to be a little bit of a prequel of Black Widow. But then, you know, at the end of it, she's going to be alive again, potentially. But the interesting thing I saw, there was nothing new in what I've just said there. Interesting thing that I saw was that the villain is supposed to be this chap called Taskmaster. Now, you may have seen some images of him this week, um, and you might confuse him with Skeletor from (laughs) He-Man. So he does have a mask, and he kind of looks like that. But he's got... He's he's a human, but his special power, if you like, is that he can watch someone, and he can mimic any of their fighting moves or anything. So if you think someone like Black Widow has got so good, and she, you know, kicks it with the Avengers because she's so well-trained, 
Now, if you can get someone who can just literally watch you fight and then can fight in that style, he becomes quite quite a um, formidable foe. So I think for for myself, again, I go back to some of these comic characters and I think, yeah, I'm never going to see them on screen. For me, Taskmaster is one and I'm quite excited to see him. Yeah, well, I have no point of reference, Dave. I've never heard of the Taskmaster. So again, it's all new to me. I know obviously they keep saying Adam Warlock is being teased and we saw Adam Warlock sort of Forgive me, Dave, which film was it? Was it which uh, MCU film? It, it was one of the multiple end credits in Guardians 2. Ah, right, okay. Yes, I saw an article this week. So, again, someone I spoke to, a friend of mine, I didn't realise who was heavily into the comics, had said that. He, he just randomly said, oh, I like listening to your podcast. I've not listened to all of them. And he just said to me this week, Adam Warlock's got to happen. And I said, you know what? I said, I've never even heard of Adam Warlock until... Dave, I said, obviously yourself, had mentioned it in some of the comic background and some of the interesting stuff we'd seen with the MCU. So I'm interested to see when they introduce him and what part of this next phase he does come in, if at all. Yeah, yeah. No, it should be good. I mean, he is a very, very powerful character and he was quite central to the whole Infinity Gauntlet storyline and, and the series that happened after that as well. But yeah, it remains to be seen. And and of course, you know, it's rumored to be Zac Efron, isn't it? So the ladies will be happy with that as well, I imagine. Now, Chris, final thing. We've got Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con coming up this weekend. And it's not really comic book related, even though it's kind of a Comic-Con, so it sort of is. But I've just watched the trailer for Top Gun Maverick. It's going to be a continuation in real time of Maverick in the Navy. Uh, I am just giddy with excitement, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) It's going to be phenomenal. And I I just, again, for a movie that I never thought I'd ever see again, um, I'm really excited about this one. We might have to do this one, I think. Yeah, I'm going to shock you now, Dave, and you may actually delete me again, but I don't think I've ever seen Top Gun all the way through. So I think it's going to be totally alien to me even to watch the first one i've seen bits of it because my cousin was obsessed with it and in some daft bits continuity wise i remember my cousin being in hysterics about and i've seen the trailer looks fantastic is it selling me not completely but for pure 80s nostalgia and i do like tom cruise especially mission impossible i'll be watching it in the cinema well you're right I am suitably shocked. (laughs) So definitely on our VHS Strikes Back, we are going to have to do that original Top Gun. I I don't know how well it's going to age, um, but yeah, got to do that. Definitely, definitely. Now, Chris, another one that we are going to go back to, which I know you definitely have watched, is the 1999 phenomenon that is The Matrix. Dave... 81 episodes it's took for us to get to this point. You know full well, and any of our listeners out there know, this is one of my favourite films of all time. <laughs> I am so excited. What are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering how big your list of your favourite movies is. <laughs> with Back to the Future, with Rocky, <laughs> with Terminator 2. <laughs> I have well Dave I had I led a very isolated life I might have been the oldest of nine kids but I just sat there watching videos so even stuff like Lethal Weapon Beverly Hills Cop they're up there they, they, there's nothing I know Avengers Endgame I think is the best cinematic film I've ever ever seen without a doubt at, at this point in my life but as something that these films mean a lot to me that I've watched over and over again. And The Matrix, I've watched up there as many times as Back to the Future, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop, even the karate stuff that I used to love. There's plenty of stuff. And it's got to be in my top 10 day, without a doubt. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I've probably watched it less than, say, Back to the Future, just because when you're a kid, you've got a lot more free time, haven't you? Um, and this obviously came out in the late 90s when, uh, you know, I was just kind of working and stuff. So I have watched it lots and lots as well, but really, really fond memories of this. And the main thing that comes back to me is the movie I was the most excited about that summer was absolutely Star Wars Phantom Menace. And I just remember, you know, just watching it and then trying to convince myself that it was 
it was a good movie and I did enjoy it. You know, when you just keep repeating this to yourself and then watch the matrix. And I was like, now that is a great movie. And honestly, I would say for the next five to 10 years, until they ruined it for me with the sequels, basically, um, I, I was just, it, it just dominated my thoughts and, and uh, you know, what I was thinking and the whole philosophy behind it. And, you know, I, not to go off on too far a tangent, but there are academics who do actually believe that we are in a matrix type of environment now. We're in this simulation. So there's a guy called Nick Bostrom. He's basically a philosopher at the University of Oxford. And he'd released a paper in the early 2000s basically saying that, saying that we, we're probably in a huge simulation. Elon Musk, uh, founder of Tesla, says that he thinks the odds that we're in a, in a base reality, so, you know, it is a reality, i.e. it's not a simulation, is one in billions. And it brings up all these kind of philosophical questions about, well, you know, what if, what if what we think of as a God type thing is just a massive AI supercomputer? So beyond the film, <laughs> the message I'm trying to get across to you is this did dominate my thoughts uh, for a long time after it came out in 99. And so this film, for me, it means a lot to me. Yeah, it does with me. And, and it's funny you should mention The Phantom Menace because I got, in 99, as we used to years ago, we, we can't got the luxury of the internet then properly, was two dodgy copies. One was The Phantom Menace, and I always cottoned on until I watched it years later that the actual pod racing, wearing horrible noise, and I've mentioned this before on the show, was something to do with the dodgy copy I had. And then when I watched it properly, I was like, no, that's the sound they went with when, when Anakin was doing the pod racing. And we'll forget Jar Jar Binks and stuff. But I also got a copy of The Matrix, and I remember watching it, being blown away, totally understanding the concept of what it was. Like you say, we're in an absolutely virtual reality. And trying to explain it to Sam, my wife, and she watched it, and I was like, this is one of the best films I've ever seen. And she's going, it's absolute crap. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it. I'm never watching it again. And she's never watched it again, Dave. So every time I've watched it has been purely myself in a self-indulgent way. I've got, I had the video collection of all three. I've got the DVD collection. I can see them from here, all three of them. And you are right. The, the sequels weren't as good. The fact that in the second one, they used two painter and decorated twin brothers that were on the BBC doing a renovation show, and they became stars because they were martial artists of the second film was sacrilege to me. They just plucked them from nowhere. We've never seen them since. So let's not get into the second one. But as an entity... The first one is phenomenal. So, Dave, what have you got for comic book background, please? Well, Chris, for comics background, this The Matrix did start off as a movie, so there isn't a traditional published comic. But what I thought was, and I might step on your toes a little bit with the with the movie background, the Wachowski brothers had got a producer on board for this idea, the script of a Matrix, but they were really struggling to get people to understand what is it actually all about. And Warner Brothers really didn't want to invest the $60 million it would take to bring this movie because they just they just didn't get it. So what the Wachowskis ended up doing, they brought on board these comic book artists, so Jeff Darrow and Steve Scratchy, and they drew a 600-page shot-by-shot storyboard. So you've got, and there's no colors or anything, so it's not, you know, it's more like a black-and-white comic. Um, and they were able to show this massive comic, essentially, to get Warner Brothers on board. And if you go, I don't know if you've seen, you can get some of them on the internet. If you go online and just search for them, you can see that it is shot by shot. Even some of the iconic uh, scenes that we see, you know, like when, when Morpheus has got the red pill and the blue pill, you know, it's there. It's in this comic book representation. And so I, I just think it's a fantastic start. So it was in the development phase of this. You've also got essentially comic books which came out after because. After that first movie, The Matrix became this massive franchise, didn't it? You had all these uh, other anime-type uh, 
properties coming out, the Animatrix. You had comic books coming out. So there's a couple of volumes which are out of print at the moment, but you can still get them kind of secondhand if you go to eBay and Amazon or what have you. A couple of volumes that just expand a bit on that universe. And there's some decent sized names attached to that. So you've got Neil Gaiman, who's the writer for the likes of The Sandman, who, uh, uh, interestingly, in that story, you've got the character of Morpheus and uh, Lawrence Fishburne used him, you know, and, and his approach for a lot of, you know, getting into character for Morpheus in The Matrix. You've also got Dave Gibbons, who famously was the uh, artist for The Watchmen as well. So these are big hitters in the comic book world. So even though we didn't start off like, say, a Superman or a Spider-Man with a published comic, it is intertwined within the development and the production of this movie. Now, Chris, apart from what I've just talked about, how about the movie background? So, Dave, yeah, movie background. So, in 1994, the Wachowski brothers presented a script for a film called The Assassins, which I actually quite enjoyed, with Sylvester Stallone and Antonio Banderas, to Warner Brother Pictures. And they also said, by taking that, they would take two other films that they'd pitched, one of them being The Matrix, which was pretty good. Now, in 96, and this has been something that has been a sort of pop culture rumour for years, and Will Smith confirmed this, they did approach Will Smith about playing Neo. And Smith, who's a massive YouTube star now and Instagram and everything else, actually said that he did get offered the role, but he genuinely did not know the concept and didn't understand what was going on, and actually turned it down for the Wild Wild West. Well. We know the song Wow Wow West. I've that's, seen the film. That's not aged well, that decision, has it? <laughs> no. <laughs> not really, no. So, anyway, yeah. So, then also, what was pretty good was with the concept of the film, so it's, it's taken like nearly five years to get it to production, was to give the Wachowskis a $60 million budget for this film. And they actually said that to create this movie, they wanted it with a deep physiological ideas and the difficult special effects that they needed, which is really good. Now, the whole film is based about martial arts, kung fu, special fighting skills like Krav Maga, which I've tried myself, stuff like that. Now, Keanu Reeves actually suffered prior to filming a two-level fusion of his cervical spine, which basically gave him paralysis in, in his legs, partial paralysis. So, and he had to go undergo sort of neck surgery. But while he was recovering, this is when the pre-production started. So he insisted on training, and he was under Master UN, who sort of let him practice punches and lighter moves. But Keanu Reeves trains really hard, and he trained harder and harder, and even requested training on, like, supposedly days off. Now, due to the surgery, he was still unable to kick, and that's something that is quite interesting, because I know his kicks get a bit of stick in this film, but it was more to do with an actual proper injury and that's why it took four months to recover and out of them four months he could only do two months worth of training properly so that sort of delayed a lot of the production and what they did was he tried not to do any of the actual physical stuff so they had to change the whole production round of the film now Hugo Weaving who plays Agent Smith as well he had to go hip surgery as well after he sustained a bad injury and there's numerous stunt people and Keanu Reeves' stunt double actually ended up breaking his collarbone, his ribs, his shoulder, everything. And this was to do with the scene in the train, the subway station, where it gets thrown through the telephone box. And then obviously when he lifts Agent Smith up into the air as well, that was all done on wires, but they had to make it look real. So he did push him up into the ceiling. Now, because of that, they changed everything round. They filmed a lot of the scenes when, obviously, we still Mr. Anderson. The ones in his office where they come and find him, the interrogation in the car ride uh, with Trinity, and when he goes to see the Oracle. And then, once he'd recovered, they then shot it. Because they never shoot him in sequence, these things. And he'd obviously had to shave his hair off. Now, uh, Carrie Ann Moss, who plays Trinity, gets full respect for this because of what happened with Keanu Reeves. He couldn't do any of his stunts. He wanted to do all the stunts because it was all wire work and stuff like that, but he just physically couldn't. Now, Carrie Moss actually did every single stunt in the film. All the stuff with the wires, all the action stuff. It did affect the scene when they go and rescue Morpheus that I know of as well. She ended up seriously injuring her ankle, so they had to shoot that in a couple of cities. They wanted to do it in one take, and they just couldn't because of her injury. So that delayed the filming. And a lot of the times when they're fighting, they were actually hitting each other, and a lot of the actors, Lawrence Fishburne, Canaries, they ended up with bruises. They said, let's not pull any punches, just go for it. Now, it also, because of his injury, Keanu Reeves' fav- 
famous triple kicks scene when he fights Morpheus and when he fights against Agent Smith, it could only be done a couple of times. And it, in the end, it had to be shot once he was in, uh, back from injury. Say that again. It had to be shot once he was back from injury. Now, Master Young actually said that he did tell him to eventually start pulling the punches, especially in the training sequence with Morpheus, because it was supposed to depict it was a training scene. So that's why some of the punches and kicks do look like they're dancing a little bit. Cue John Wick 3, which we obviously have reviewed and we've talked about, about how it is ridiculous how choreographed that film is, considering the praise it gets. Now, also, to prepare for the scenes at the start of the film when Neo is in the pod and gets awakened, Keanu Reeves actually went on a diet and lost 15 pounds and shaved his whole body. He wanted to give him that emaciated look, which always looks really, really good to give that effect that he's never lived and stuff. So I think that was fantastic. I'm not sure whether that was done at the start or the end of filming. I'd I'd probably say at the end, to be honest, after he'd done all the choreography. Now, financially... Absolute success. $60 million budget. It made $463.5 million worldwide, 171 in the US and Canada, and 292 in all other countries, which is unbelievable. In North America, it's the fifth highest grossing film of 99, and the highest grossing radar film of 99 as well. Now, worldwide, it was the fourth highest grossing film of that year, which is fantastic. Critically, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 88% with an average user score of 7.6 out of 10. And that's based on 147 reviews as well, which is absolutely fantastic. Metacritic out of a hundred, it's at 73% out of 35 reviews. Again, generally favorable reviews, really good. And Cine score, it's at an A minus, which is the scale from A plus down to F, which is absolutely fantastic. And that is all I've got today on the movie background, Dave. So should we go into review, Dave? Let's go. hotel and we meet trinity and she's being surrounded by these various police and very quickly we get introduced to agent smith who tells the police no lieutenant your men are already dead we may have lots of terrible impressions during this because there are so many great lines chris um but I have to say what I love about this is it's straight into into the action. When I was watching this in the cinema, I had no idea what's going on at this stage. But, you know, we get this bullet time action scene, don't we, where Trinity jumps up to kick that initial policeman. And you're like, she's some sort of superhero or something like that. Uh, this is all before we actually get to meet Keanu Reeves' Neo. But, I mean, what do you make to this whole first piece of the movie? Because we, we obviously we meet Trinity. We're not sure what's going on there. We meet Thomas Anderson. Um, and he just seems to be a, a 
programmer who's doing a bit of hacking on the side, making a few extra quid that way. What, what did you make to this first whole movie going back to do this rewatch? I think the thing is, Dave, what you, you, as you go back, yes, it's 20 years old, and I know it's been out in the cinema recently as well as a, a special edition. It's aged fantastically. Now, obviously, we've reviewed so many things where we go back to the mid-90s or even the early 2000s, some of the stuff we reviewed, and it ages terribly. I think this, it just stands up. Everything she's doing is, is current. There's a lot of MMA-based fighting in there. I remember watching this first time thinking, I didn't know the whole premise of The Matrix. I just heard the buzz of it being like one of the great films to watch of the year and all this. And like I say, once I got the VHS dodgy copy of it, and it wasn't a bad copy to be fair, I remember being quite transfixed by Carrie and Moss thinking, God, she's absolutely gorgeous, you know, and especially the leather outfit, Dave, you know, very much Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman, sorry, <laughs> Batman too. But yeah, it, it's great. The, the, the whole ethos of him of being chased and everything and it doesn't give away too much to start with what it's about it just looks like she's someone who's got a bit of extra something about her she can fight she's being chased and then it comes in then so obviously the matrix we got all the matrix you know the the, the wording and that, that green wording has been synonymous for years it's like a pop culture reference now on a load of things isn't it we've got even stuff like family guide to current films we've got matrix references and just brilliant, really well directed. The colour, the tone is fantastic. It just sets it up nicely, to be honest. And I have to say, old Keanu Reeves, he takes a bit of stick, doesn't he, uh, over the years. He, he's Actually, I say that, but in this last year, particularly with like John Wick and stuff, it, he's become someone who, who everyone says, oh, yeah, I've always liked him. Well, I kind of call BS on that because for years everyone's going, oh, a terrible wooden actor and, you know, I, I, giving him a bit of stick. But I have to say, I think he's just perfect for this role. I'm not sure I buy him as this super intelligent computer hacker, but, you know, kind of having that dazed, you know, but perplexed and in deep thoughts about something, something's not quite right. You know, I just think for this role, he's just perfect. He is, and I think this role was actually after Speed. Now, I remember, obviously, we had Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and all that, and he was all, like you say, he was totally renowned for water. I remember Speed, great film, he bulked up with Sandra Bullock, and I always remember his line when it was like, Dennis Hopper was the, the bomber, and he's like, you can't go for 50 miles an hour, and he got the absolute mick took out of him, and it was... It's a bomb on the it's bus. It's a bomb on the bus. <laughs> you know, and that was like, like one of them films, but he was great in that. He looked the part, he got in shape. And this was the sort of film that I extended on from that. And I've said to him before, obviously when we did Constantine, I'd said before that he's all right with a couple of lines of dialogue, anything in depth. And he, he struggles. I said it with John Wick 3 as well. We reviewed that. But in this, he doesn't say a lot, but he doesn't have to. He doesn't, he's very calm in the way he speaks. And he, there's no like, shoutiness to him he doesn't really have to go too much his body tells a lot of the story which is fantastic and i love this at the start when when they come to his office and that because it's set in australia where they filmed this and it was all filmed around sydney and and things mm -hmm. like that and they wanted they wanted it to be a generic U u.s city and they went to like new south wales and that's where all this comes about and that's also why the girl with the rabbit on her shoulder is actually Leah out of Home and Away and she's still in it to this day. She she went out of Home and Away to make this film and the, uh. the crew, the, the young lad in the crew, the, the young lad who, who's like looking at yep. his titles, he was out of Home and Away as well because there's loads of actors who are Australian in this because they just went for the, down the cheapo route to tell the story. But it worked and it actually put Australia on the map for making films, Dave, which is why when we reviewed Dread, yes, it was 2012, it's 13 years later, but these sort of films come after The Matrix because it was one of the first major blockbusters to be actually filmed outside of the US or the UK. And that's where it, it put movies sort of directing and producing on the map, which is good. So, yeah, so you do get a lot of Aussie accents in there, Dave, on and off with some of the actors and that, which is pretty good. Do you think they're trying to get the accents? Because I think they're, they're trying to all be American. Do you, do you mean Aussie actors? Yeah, you can, I can tell they're Aussie actors. If they, maybe because I know who they are, I don't know, but I can tell. 
there's an Australian. I thought they were just being Australian. I think you've just said that. I didn't even realise you were being American. <laughs> well, they, I mean, they're supposed to be in some, yeah, in an American city, aren't they? And I, I always find it jarring because I'd never known uh, Hugo Weaving until this actual movie. And he's just one of the great baddies, isn't he? I just have to oh. hold him up. With your Darth Vader's, with your Thanos's, he's just absolutely brilliant, and he doesn't. The way he speaks, it's not. It's not even just that he's putting on an American accent, is it? It's the rhythm to his voice, and you know the pronunciation of certain words. It is just absolutely fantastic, and it's. If you see him off camera just talking, it's like, yeah, so they called me up about this movie, The Matrix, and I was like, fair income? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bonza, mate, let's go for it. And it's like, that's that's not Agent Smith. <laughs> no. And he's true, he's true, because the, the way, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's one of the best baddies I've seen in a film. He is. He's just that Mr. Anderson. You know, I love all that. I mean, he keeps calling Mr. Anderson, doesn't he, through the yeah. film? And, and he is fantastic. He's scary. Yeah, we've got the other two agents that are with him, and they do speak a little bit. But Agent Smith makes this for me, because I've said it loads of times. You've said it. You can't have a great good guy without a really good baddie. The baddie makes the good guy better, elevates him. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why... Reeves' character, obviously Neo, is elevated so much because he's got such a scary baddie because he's literally indestructible, isn't he? Yeah, and and it's not just him. It's the work that Trinity does, Carrie Ann Moss, the work that Lawrence Fishburne does as Morpheus. They're all pulling off these lines. And all Keanu Reeves has to do is kind of go, whoa. I know Kung Fu. (laughs) (laughs) So so they're doing all of the exposition and everything. And again, I just, there are so many great lines in this, but you know, again, I'm just, I'm trying to think back to the time when I hadn't watched this movie and I've just no idea what's going on. And I think the first clue is when you, when you're in this interrogation scene and you get the old, the bug, you know, and, and that looks, uh, that hasn't aged as well as most of it. I think, you know, especially it's 20 years old now, isn't it? Like you say, and um, they've re-released the 4K version of it now, on, on the cinemas at least. Um, but that bit doesn't look great. And, you know, the fact that his mouth is closing up, again, you can see some of the old comic-drawn uh, shots of that on the storyboards, It's it, where his mouth seals up and you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah, he's really interesting. And he has a, a, a look when they do all this and he comes to and they, they, they obviously rescue him, don't they? Trinity and that sort of save him and Morpheus like in the office. is He comes to and he's got a look in some respects, especially when his mouth, when you say when his mouth closes up, like, he looks a bit like Deadpool to me, Dave, especially when he's <laughs> malnourished and that and he comes from within his pod and we get the whole introduction to the uh, Nebuchadnezzar and stuff. I'll never forget that name, Dave. I always know it, the Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. But yeah, the, the whole crew, everything about them, they're all dowdy. They've all got crappy clothes on. That They're just like literally probably have a shower once a week or something. They just, it's in a totally different age and a different world, obviously. It's all set in the future. And I just buying into this from the start. Even now, I, I Dave, I think I watched it. I watched it on this rerun. I watched it. A couple of months ago, I remember last June, coming back from New York, there was a load of new films. I was like, oh, The Matrix is on. Let's watch that again for the millionth yeah. time. I never get bored of watching it, and especially the last half hour. I am absolutely buzzing. But again, when he's doing the training stuff with Morpheus and he does all that and he's like, and they're doing all that, I love all that, Dave. I love all that. When he, when he runs up the pillar, the dojo, and as he's going, Morpheus yeah. just watches him over his head and just kicks him and he's going faster faster and, and they're all going mad aren't they watching him like trinity and yeah, all the other guys yeah. in the thing and but you can tell from the start can't you the guy with the goatee who's the obviously he turns don't he you can just the cipher yeah cipher sorry cipher's got the edge about him and that he you can just tell this he's always doubting and he's a bit sleazy around trinity so you, you know that he's going to do something in the film but yeah fantastic settings the thing is, they drop so many massive hints that he's the mole. But again, think to that first time you've watched it, you know, without that hindsight that he's the mole. That very first scene when you get the Matrix writing, 
and Trinity's been cornered, you know, by the agents and the police and what have you, it, it's him. You know, she's uh, the wire's been tapped or, or whatever the terminology is. And it's obviously, it's Cypher talking to her. And, you know, it's, uh, watching it back this time, it is just so obvious. It's right in your face that he's the mole. But, you know, it's it's only with the benefit of hindsight. And I love stuff like that. We've talked a few times about uh, The Sixth Sense, haven't we? You you go yeah. back and you watch that, and it's, like, so obvious. But when you're going, it, going through the first time, none of it is. No, exactly. And, and also, when they first go into The Matrix, which I love, is there's something that actually ended up being a pop culture reference again. I know we like quoting these, but it also something that computer game developers took was the bullet time. So when yeah. they did the bullet time, they actually filmed loads of it, loads of bullet time it, versions of him, of Keanu Reeves, because they weren't sure when they used the ropes, they weren't sure, because obviously I'd mentioned in the background about his injury, how they would do it and how effective it would be. Well, that first interaction where we see it there was a game you may have played it on the playstation 2 and xbox called max Payne that uh-huh. came out and they introduced bullet time a couple of years later i think it was around about 2001 2002 and basically it wasn't like he fell backwards like keanu reeves did like neo did but he did fall forward you could press a button and everything froze in time and he could like go around the room and shoot people and they've used that in computer games dave even up to 2019 it's like 20 years they've nicked that from the matrix for that that idea that someone is just so much faster than everyone else and can read different things i mean i know we've talked about obviously quicksilver and that that's a totally different version in it or the flash or whatever but Mm -hmm. but this with the matrix was stolen so many times in computer games afterwards. Yeah. And I think it's easy 20 years on, it's easy to forget how big the matrix was and how much it influenced movies and games and everything that came after it. Because like I say, just that thing, you know, you take the blue pill to, you know, Go back and nothing's happened. You take the red pill and let's see how far down the rabbit hole goes. Now, I must admit, watching it back this time, I was thinking, come on, that's a bit cryptic, Morpheus. (laughs) I think I'd be a bit annoyed. And question to you, Chris, blue pill or red pill? Good question. Red pill, Dave. Oh, so you'd be a bit of a... You'd want to live on the the Nebuchadnezzar and uh, I think I'd go blue pill, to be honest. No, I'd, I'd go red for the simple reason that I'd know Kung Fu. <laughs> well, there is that. But you've got, you've got a terrible life, haven't you? You're in this hot, dank old ship. You're being chased by robots all the time. You're eating this gloop that apparently, according to Tank, has got all the things that the body needs but just looks absolutely terrible. I think I'd be with Cypher and you know eating that steak. Well, <laughs> well, Dave, you're definitely going to double cross me then, because I'm definitely going in to destroy the Matrix. I'd, I want, <laughs> I'd want, uh, I just think the, the concept is fantastic. Knowing that you could bend the rules of reality and physics to suit what you need, it's, it's all downloadable off a computer program. It just fascinates me, something like that. And I, I as you said in the comic background, it, it also sets in there there's somewhere you, you you could potentially say we are living in a, a different reality and stuff like that so yeah i just love that total break from our reality in this film is fantastic and i would i'd be red pill all day long yeah nice nice well well done to you but anyway before we went on off, off on that tangent i was just saying you know there's, there's so many things that have been taken from that and are just used in every day now. I love the whole thing. You know, you'd heard deja vu for years and years. How many times now, if someone says like deja vu or whatever, you just say, oh, it's a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's just become as synonymous with deja vu. It's like, oh, something's resetting in the matrix. Yeah. And and again, mentioned in films after this as well, Dave, you're totally right. It's become common sort of dialects, and it, between people in the, in the correct sort of context. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think for Keanu Reeves, fantastic for his career. Lawrence Fishburne, yeah, he'd been in 
stuff like Boys in the Hood and things like that. He's always a good actor, but this elevated him a lot. He got a lot of good work after this because he's fantastic in it as Morpheus. Morpheus is absolutely brilliant. He's the captain of the Nebuchadnezzar. He's the leader of the group. He believes that Neo is the one. The down of the allude to obviously he's too young, and he goes to see the Oracle. Who you too, know too old. Yeah, too, too old. Sorry, too old. And, you know, he goes to the Oracle and she pretty much says the same and it's all, what you know, you aren't the one and all this. And I love that thing, though. It's just, there's no, like, dark or light side like Star Wars. It's just, you are the one. You know, you could be the one. Is he the one? And Morpheus believes in him. And when they first go into the Matrix, I just love all that, where they're in that house and they're trying to escape and they're in the walls of the house, aren't they? And you've got that police and all the agents there. And, and that's obviously where Morpheus gets captured in the end, doesn't he? Because he, he saves Neo on that because he knows his life is more important than, than Morpheus's because he believes yeah. he is him. So, but that is brilliant. When he fights the agents and he, he he goes through the wall and he just gets so mad that he just goes, and he jumps yeah. through. Oh, he proper like spine tingling when you watch it even now. And you know, there's, there's loads of footage. If you go and search for it on YouTube of, of all the training that the actors did. So they got this chap in from Hong Kong who'd done loads of movies who basically came in and thought, you know, these actors have got no chance of pulling it off on screen. So they were training for like six months before they shot it and you know even just watching it now I, I think some of the things particularly like Keanu Reeves kicks I'm not particularly a massive fan of but the way Lawrence Fishburne moves I, I think he's a bit more convincing than Keanu Reeves to be honest and that little uh fight that the that he has with Agent Smith I think is fantastic and unfortunately he just gets taken down by sheer numbers doesn't he um and then obviously you know Neo and Trinity and every, everyone end up back on the Nebuchadnezzar. And Neo's like, no, I believe I can go um, back and save him. And I thought, you know, this could be a bit of a circular argument. <laughs> you know, so Trinity <laughs> could be like, well, I believe you could stay. And so, you know, but this bit, after that whole back and forth about are they going to go back and save him, is just so good. That line, you know, guns. Lots of guns that we saw yeah. in uh, repeated in John Wick three this year. Oh, it's just so good. This next like twenty minutes or something is just phenomenal. You know, they get all tooled up. He sets off the metal detector. You've got the the iconic music going. You've got this tremendous like wire work where they're somersaulting and shooting. They basically how the building doesn't come down is beyond me. They, you know all these bullets flying all over the place. Ah, oh, and it just, Chris, it just still looks fantastic. Yeah, it does. That, that whole scene, you told you, you've, you've described it fantastically, Dave. The whole scene, the way they come to rescue him, when he's actually stuck with the agents and they're punching him. And obviously, Agent Smith's playing a bit of a double a double agent as such, forgive the pun, because he takes his earpiece off. He doesn't want the yeah. other two agents to know what's actually going on. He basically just wants out the Matrix, doesn't he, really? And they come in the helicopter, and that bit is absolutely phenomenal. The water, the setting, everything. And obviously, Neo's a great shot because he doesn't hit Morpheus <laughs> at all. Despite the fact that he's got an absolute cannon of a gun, a Rambo gun, M16 or whatever it is, an absolute, well, not an M16, but an absolute machine of a gun, uh, or a machine gun, as they call it. A machine of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) This this gun of machines. (laughs) Uh, There's a word there, I think. So anyway, I'm not trying to play name that tune or anything. but, But yeah, fantastic. And the when... He kills, obviously, the agents, but they can basically remorph, can't they, as whoever's the closest person yeah. in that vicinity who's not part of, obviously, Neo and, and Trinity's team. And they're obviously computer-generated people in the world. And when he's running and they shoot through the wall and get his leg and you get that scene with the helicopter, he's absolutely brilliant. And when more, when Neo gets Trinity, they, they, they hit the helicopter, the, the fuel comes out, they save Morpheus... And all that is proper nail-biting stuff. Even now, you're watching it when they drop Morpheus on the floor and they're trying to get him out of the Matrix and that. And this leads into, Dave, for me, it leads into the best part of the film because you end up... I love this scene where you've got... Morpheus is back in 
the real world as such. And you've got Trinity and Neil trying to sort of get back and they end up in the train station. And that subway, they were going to film it in a proper subway, but they didn't. They, they've used it in a props place, but it has a running track through it. So obviously the train, when it comes at him, isn't real, but the actual tracks mm-hmm. and that were real. And this is when I said in my movie background, you were saying about his kicks, how he, because he'd had a, a, a spinal fusion, cervical f- fusion on his neck and back. He couldn't do a lot of kicks, so he, he had to compensate for that. And this is where the stuntmen got absolutely hammered when he gets thrown into the phone box. And this fight with him is when she gets the phone, it rings, he shoots the phone so he can't escape, and they're like, run run and I love Dave proper spine tingling where he's like Mr. Anderson and he turns around done it and they're like run and then he goes more he's, he's beginning to believe and I know yeah. it's, it's really basic dialogue but in the context of the film even to this day I absolutely love it I love that that fight this whole fight in the subway is fantastic yeah I, I must admit Chris I've got goosebumps now just thinking back to that moment, because that is the proper moment, isn't it? We needed a bit of Rocky montage music there, I think. Um, but when he turns around, and, and he doesn't have it all his own way, obviously, you know, he, he comes out of that fight just, you know, Smith's taken out by the train, but the fact that he's believed, the fact that he's he's held his own for the most part, but then <laughs> it does make me laugh a little bit. He, he sort of goes through all of this effort. He's almost killed, you know, just about manages to take out the agent, which no one else has ever done before. Cause we'd learned that earlier in the movie. And then it's just like, right. He sp- springs up as this homeless person. And, and you've got to, fa- to face agent Smith again. Now it's like, Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. he takes the intelligent choice, which is, just run. <laughs> yeah, just run. Because that's where you get that line, don't you? And he says, uh, I'm going to enjoy killing you, Mr. Andon. And, and he's choking him, isn't he? And he, as he jumps up, the train's about to kill him, and he goes, my name is Neo. And that's the first time he calls himself Neo yeah, in the film. Yeah. They they call it him, but it's the first time. Yeah, and that bit where he's just running. And I love that. He's running through like a Chinatown-type uh, little place. And everywhere he turns, there's an agent chasing him, or someone's throwing a knife, or he's going through houses and everything fantastic and even now you get to the bit where they chase him in a building he jumps over the side you can see that's his stunt double when he jumps over the side into the trash and stuff but when he gets in that building and he's running and he's running up and down the stairs he's running through roof and the next minute smith's in front of him and he shoots him and it's everything just stops doesn't it like bullet time dead dead slow and Trinity's next to him, obviously, in the real world. And she's yeah. been told, aren't you, by the Oracle, that he is the one. You're going to fall in love with the one. And he shoots him. And you're like, oh, no, what is going on? You know, come on. You know, like, you can't just end like this. And Roll credits. Yeah, roll credits. It was a good run you had there. See you, see you next time. But, yeah, when he shoots him, I'm like, oh, no. And he does flatline, doesn't he? Totally flatline. And... Dave, when she says to him, and, and obviously the Nebuchadnezzar's being attacked by them sort of spider drone things, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, you know, the sentinels. Sentinels are going to take them out. And when when she says to him, like, you can't be dead, and she kisses him, and she says, because, you know, uh, I love you sort of, sort of thing and all this. And he wakes back up, Dave, again, spine tingling that bit, spine tingling. I, I'm going to pick up on one of the things you said, and, and after he'd beaten, you know, the last thing he said to Smith before he, takes him out with that train is, you know, my name is Neo, you know, obviously Neo being an anagram of one, you know, yeah. so it, it's, it's the fact that he's not called himself it, but in that moment he believes he's the one, you know, he is Neo. Uh, so I thought that was quite, again, when you're watching it for the first time, you don't notice all this stuff, but having seen it, you know, I, I wouldn't even like to put a number on it, but certainly I'd say upwards of 50 times, I've seen this movie, you know, you just pick up on every little line of dialogue. And like I say, there's just so many great lines in there. Um, what I would say though, I do have a couple of major nitpicks with this movie and there's probably more, but two that really kind of great on me. One is the Nebuchadnezzar is this small little ship. And whenever anyone goes into the actual matrix or the kind of simulation that they've got to do a bit of their Kung Fu training and whatever, everyone else knows, you know, it's only a small ship. You can't just 
go into the matrix. You're not in your own house or anything, you know, and uh, I'll just jump into the matrix. So how did Cypher actually have that conversation with um, Agent Smith in the first place? That, for me, is, is something that I can't stop noticing now. But that pales into significance to the kiss of life. Right, because we've had all right, it's science fiction, but we've got this gritty world and and this these philosophical foundations where you think, like say, you've got university professors from uh, Oxford saying actually this this could be a thing. Uh, notably, he did say that he'd never seen the Matrix when he published that paper, so it's just an independent thing. He's not just saw it and decided to write a paper on it. But Neo's dead. He is physically dead. And then because he's kind of brought back to life by the power of love, you know, bit of a Back to the Future reference there for you, Chris. (laughs) It's just a nonsense that I cannot rationalize in my own mind. You know, everything else, you can kind of believe that this could be a possible future. You know, and, and actually, it's a bit scary. We're, we're starting to get to that place with AI now, aren't we? Where, uh, you know, we could have a Skynet or, uh, you know, um, yeah. these Sentinels chasing after us and just using us as a battery. But it's just the fact that he's dead, physically dead, and then he's not. It, it just, I cannot get over, well, I can get over that because I can just kind of compartmentalize that and put it to the side and still appreciate it's a great movie. But this is the major nit for me in this movie. The the fact that he's killed by several bullets, you know? Um, I know they're digital, but we'd learned earlier, you know, if you take punishment in the Matrix, that affects you in the real world as well. So go on, convince me that this is not a major issue with the movie i don't think it is at the time it may have been but when you watch the second and third films it moves over into the real world doesn't it so you end up with neo can pretty much use some of his powers in the real world as well so i think he was just a special person dave (laughs) and i'm not having it (laughs) i don't want to think about it don't ruin one of my favorite films i'm just taking it that trinity had a little bit of magic on a lipstick and she brought him back to life. Like Snow White. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I, like I say, I can compartmentalize that. It doesn't stop my enjoyment of the movie, but it just, it does grate on me a bit that, you know, this is, this is so close to being a perfect movie, but little things like that are just really great on me. And I, I denounce the sequels, to be honest. I, I just think, this should have been the start of a major, major franchise. And like I say, with all the comics that came out, with the with the Animatrix, you know, these other kind of uh, different style of animation movies that they came out with and stuff, this should have been massive, but they managed to kill their own franchise with those sequels. But when he actually does come around, and then he's just, he's fighting off Agent Smith, who's, you know, trying to take him out, but he's basically smoking a pipe and uh, fighting him off there. It's just so good. Hand, holding him off, blocking him with one hand. It's just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, because we'd seen, I guess when you mentioned earlier uh, about Agent Smith taking his, his earpiece out, you realize, and again, I don't think I really appreciated in the first watching, but you've seen it so many times now, that these are sentient beings. These are sentient programs. So it's not just the Matrix is this whole big one computer program. You've got these sentient beings within it. So he's got his own desires, his own needs, and what have you. So, you know, at this point, we think he is genuinely killed. And and so it it explains to me, because it's a little bit comedic, isn't it, when the other two agents just run off. But the fact that they have got their own desires and needs, uh, you know, it at least explains to me that, okay, so they do still want to survive. They're not just this uh, part of the matrix. Yeah. No, you're totally right. And I just don't want to ruin the film for myself. I, I think I think what it does is, for me, it convinces me more that he is the one because Morpheus can't believe it. They've never seen that before, have they? So you, you are bending the rules of everything, to be honest. But I take it for what it is, to be honest. And what what an effect, though, when he's sort of come back to life. Like I say, I'll get over the whole kiss alive thing. But when he comes back to life and he looks up at the agents 
and you see all the Matrix kind of writing, the green writing. It's just so good. Such a great effect. And I have to say, I, I love the way the movie finishes off. Not sure about the whole Greece ending, you know, because obviously in Greece, they, you know, this very grounded musical in the 50s, and then the car just flies off. <laughs> it's like, what's going on there? And, um, you know, the thing is with the Matrix, it's like the other people around you aren't supposed to know about these things, you know, and essentially he just flies off like, you know, he's uh, Clark Kent and he's just turned into Superman. But again, I can, I can forgive that because Rage Against the Machine kicks in with a bit of wake up. And I'm just, again, I just can't help but salivate over how great the music is. I've talked about, you know, things like Rocky, you know, is there a better film that syncs up with what's going on you know, that musical score and what's going on on the screen. But for just individual song choices that they have in this movie, I just, for me, it's one of the best soundtracks out there. Oh, it's fantastic. You're totally right, Dave, totally right. Great end to this uh, walkthrough on The Matrix. Shall we go into our review? Yeah, let's go for it. So, just before we give our review scores, this is actually a crossover episode of the Comics in Motion and the VHS Strikes Back. So, myself and Dave are going to run through our review scores for both podcasts and we're going to score it appropriately. So, for the Comics in Motion, we have Top of the Tree is Asgard, which means it's not absolutely fantastic. Just on the top, we have Atlantis, which is still a good film. In middle of the road, we have Hall of Justice. Not that good, but not that, no, not really that bad. We have Hell's Kitchen, and if it is an absolute stinker, we send it to the Phantom Zone with General Zod. Dave, could you give our listeners the review score rating for VHS Strikes Back? Yep, so for the VHS Strikes Back, we start off with Cloud City right at the top there. If it's not quite as good, we're down into Pleasantville. Middle of the road, we're looking at Hill Valley being the nexus of all things there. If it's getting on to being pretty bad, then we're into Elm Street. And then if this is one of the worst things that you've seen, this is really not a great movie or TV show, then we're into Downtween. Now, Chris, do you want to go first? Yeah, I do, Dave. So I'm not even going to try and hide my poker hand here, Dave. I absolutely love this film. I've seen it maybe getting close to 100 times over 20 years. Fantastic. It ticks all the boxes for me. It's got martial arts, proper fighting in it. It's got enough sort of downtrodden bits where the heroes sort of backs against the wall and they've got to try and sort of get some sort of courage and come out fighting. And, and obviously the whole turn when Neo starts to believe that he is the one and he starts sort of being able to fight and be as just as good as these indestructible agents within the world gets me every time. It's my absolute dream sort of film scenario. So I'm going to send it comics in motion to Asgard. And then also for the VHS strikes back, which is absolutely not going to be a shock to you, Dave, I'm sending it to cloud cities. Absolutely fantastic film. So Dave, what about yourself? Well, just before I get into my final wrap-up and score, I did say in our little pre-show there I was going to call you out on something, but I didn't tell you what it was. You've told me privately that you're really not into sci-fi at all. You're just not a fan of the whole genre. And yet some of your favorite movies, so this, Back to the Future, Terminator, that whole franchise, these are all sci-fi movies. Yeah, but I have a theory. So, you give me an alien-type film, I'm not interested. If they're on a spaceship and we've got all this other nonsense going on, but when you've got something that crosses over into reality, so say it's like Predator, yes, it's sci-fi, but you've got that fact that it's on Earth, it's real, as in you can relate to stuff, because I can relate to it, I, I like it. If it's something that's in an absolute stupid world, and I know The Matrix crosses over, Dave, but the best bits, parts of The Matrix film is when they're in a fake sort of, I don't know, New York or Chicago, whatever it's supposed to be, a generic city. And I think that's my type of stuff, like Back to the Future. It's just somewhere, it's a time-travelling thing. Like I used to love Quantum Leap as well on the TV show. And it's that 
time travel, I can get into that sci-fi, but if it's something else, I'm just not into it. It's just not my thing. And then I also, I'm going to totally contradict myself and say I'm a big Star Wars fan. But I don't like Star Trek, Dave. <laughs> I hate Star Trek if that helps. So I'm just going to be quiet now and sit in my corner. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I... I think it's more that is it just a really great story? I, I can see what you mean. I, I think there's a certain distance from reality element to it. So like Star Trek, it's just not real. And especially, you know, the, the, the initial 60s series, you know, people go absolutely nuts for that. But it's just a bit silly, you know, and you've got these ridiculous looking aliens. Again, I... And I think for yourself, you know, the age that we are, you couldn't avoid Star Wars. But at its core, it is just a great story. And so I I think it's less about the genre and more about the storytelling and and that growth of a character. Obviously, in in Star Wars, when we were kids, you know, it would have been Luke Skywalker that we were kind of looking through. And, you know, you see the growth of him. And then it's only later years you think, actually, Han Solo is the man, isn't he? But, you know what I mean? I think it's. It'll be interesting as we go through more kind of different genres, especially for some of those older movies that are in your top 100 of films that you always love, uh, (laughs) favorite ever movies. Um, It'll be interesting how many, because Predator, I'd forgot about that, another sci-fi movie that that is definitely in one of your top uh, echelon of movies. So. No, I did say I'd call you out, and uh, you half sold me on the explanation there until you took the rug from under yourself with Star Wars. (laughs) 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 Good bit of self-sabotage there. So for me, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this movie had a very profound impact on me, and, and I did think deeply about you know, the whole matrix, could we be in a matrix, you know, and, and the implications to all of that. And it is easy to forget just how massive this whole franchise was and the impact that it had on everything that came afterwards in terms of movies and just storytelling and what have you. I was a little bit concerned. I haven't watched it for probably 10 years now. And so I was wondering, you know, is this going to look a bit silly have we seen, you know, this replayed over and over? And we kind of have stuff like the bullet time. You know, we'd never seen anything like that until we saw it in this movie. But, of course, we've seen it over and over again since, haven't we? I've forgotten just how many culture, uh, pop culture comments were in there, stuff like, you know, the deja vu, well, that's a glitch in the Matrix. Just, and very small amounts of dialogue that just tell a lot to the to the audience so i love when he actually first comes out of the matrix and he's kind of bald he's got no hair or anything and i I think if they were to do that now they'd probably cgi him to be a bit more withered a bit more skinny you know because they say he's never used his muscles or anything and uh i I love that line about why do my eyes hurt well because you've never used them before i just they are so so good um there are a couple of things which i mentioned before the how does cypher get in there to do a deal with smith i don't think that's really explained or believable um the kiss of life just grates on me quite a lot and so i was coming into this thinking you know what this might not go to the top of the tree but there's just so much in its favor the other way and again i just love the music the action scenes the philosophical foundations that it's all built on the fact that it does feel a little bit like a comic book movie, certainly the way Morpheus is is delivering his lines and also Agent Smith as well. So I was kind of half flirting with the idea of sending it not quite to the top, but I'm afraid for comics in motion, it's got to be in Asgard. And for VHS Strikes Back, it's going straight to Cloud City. Brilliant, Dave. Absolutely brilliant. So another great episode. And... If you want to get in contact with the show, get following us on Twitter, guys. Comics in Motion P. If you want to email the show, the Comics in Motion podcast at gmail.com. And if you do like what myself and Dave review, please get onto your podcast catch. And if you can drop us a five-star review, we'd really appreciate it. It just helps us grow. And also, it's a nice pat on the back for myself and Dave to say that people are actually enjoying the show. And also, if you want to get in, t- in touch with the VHS Strikes Back, then that's the VHS Strikes Back on Twitter, or it's the VHS Strikes Back at gmail.com if you want to get us on email. 
Yeah, so big thanks again. We'll see you all next week. Dave, have you got anything for us? Well, I hope you've enjoyed that show. And as I said at the top of the podcast, I hope that you've watched it and not just gorged on podcasts because this one really does need to be watched and enjoyed and then discussed about afterwards. Honestly, I feel like I could have gone on on this podcast for another five hours. And this has, for me, rekindled my love of The Matrix. And I think we will avoid the sequels for a while because that did sour my uh, opinion of it for, for a long time after. But I'll finish off with what Morpheus said. Unfortunately, no one can be told what The Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. See you next time. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to do. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> <laughs>